Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all those who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is written, uh, excuse me, for it is not uh, the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they did not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and, now, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blaspheming amongst the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the, a written code and the circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that God, you would speak to us clearly. Show us what you have in store for us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We started this series, uh, uh, not last week, but the week before, uh, and we started in Romans chapter 1. So I just want to go back and review uh, just a little bit, and then we'll get right into this today. Uh, We're probably not going to cover the entire book of Romans in the next couple weeks, um, just because of time, but I guarantee you that next uh, summer or next year sometime, we will come back to the book of Romans and spend more time in it because uh, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, The book of Romans uh, was actually a letter written to a church in Rome. And it was a new church started by new converts. It wasn't started by apostles. And they were having some issues. And so Paul comes along and he writes this letter to them, what we know now as the book of Romans. Okay? 
Uh, and the book is about righteousness. What is righteousness? Here's the definition of righteousness. It's acting in accordance with the divine and moral law, free from guilt or sin, being in right standing with God. This is righteousness. Martin Luther said this. He said, the book of Romans is the chief part of the New Testament. People should know it word for word, and it should occupy their minds daily. Now, Martin Luther, he's the guy that reformed uh, what we believe today uh, because of what he did, because of what he fought for. You and I could gather together like we are now and experience the life in Christ that we're experiencing. And if he had this to say about the book of Romans, how many think that we should spend some time looking at it, maybe see what it has to say about Christianity and about life? Romans chapter 1, we see this. Uh, First, we see that that the picture is painted that without God, uh, we're all pretty screwed up. Are you with me? Am I the only one that without God is screwed up? Or have you, have you tried living life without God and you realize, wow, you know what? I'm a pretty screwed up individual. <laughs> I've realized that. I've, I've tried, you know, for about six months to do my own thing and realize it ain't, it ain't working. Um, I need Jesus. And so the book, uh, the, for chapter one of Romans, it literally begins to lay out really how screwed up we are. It talks about, man, we begin to, we begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. We begin to exchange what is normal passions for abnormal passions. Then it begins to describe all this stuff, and uh, it's just not a real pretty, pretty picture. Also, in chapter 1, we see this, that Paul is writing because the Jews now, they've been doing all this stuff so that they could be Christians, or they could be Christ followers, or they could be counted as children of God. They've been obeying the law. But now here comes the Gentiles, and they did none of this stuff. They're not obeying the law. Um, They just come in under grace through the cross of Jesus Christ, and now they're saved, and now they're Christ followers, and the Jews are getting a little bit ticked off, okay? The Jews are getting a little bit upset, saying, hey, well, this is not right. What's going on? I mean, they don't do all the stuff we do. I mean, we're, 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 we're descendants of the guy that got crucified, and we do all this stuff. I mean, aren't, aren't, aren't we the righteous ones? How are they righteous by doing nothing other than just saying yes to the cross? And they were a little bit ticked off about that. And so then Paul comes and says, guys, hold on. You're missing it. The same righteousness that's upon you, upon the Jews, is the same righteousness that's upon you as the Gentiles. Because the righteousness does not come from your works. It doesn't come from what you can and cannot do. Righteousness comes from God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're going to be righteous. Okay? So Paul begins to set some things in order. And in looking at that last week, we keyed in on the scriptures, Romans uh, 1, 16 through 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, for the Jew first, then for the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God. What is Paul saying? He's saying, guys, you got it all wrong. Go back to the gospel. Go back to Jesus. Look at that, because you guys are messed up, okay? Now, here we go into chapter 2. In chapter 2, what happens, although in chapter 1, Paul is talking to the Jews. He's also talking to the Gentiles. And the funny thing is, is Paul is saying this. Guys, I totally agree with you. The Gentiles, they are messed up people. They're bad. They're not good. And he goes on and lays out all their stuff. Okay? But now in chapter 2, he literally begins to turn to the Jews. Now, here's what we got to understand. The Jews were the children of God. They were the people of God. Okay? If we could transfer that today, chapter 2 okay, is now being written to Christ followers, Christians. Okay? How many Christ followers do I have in here today? How many Christians? Okay, all right, well, this message is for you, all right? All right? Uh, if, you, if you're not a Christ follower, you should have been here last week, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And so here, here now, we, we can put it this way, that, that Paul now begins to write to the church, or he begins to write to the Christians, those that think they've obtained 
righteousness. And he starts off the whole entire chapter um, as he lays out all this other stuff about how bad they were. About how, he, he literally, read the last part of chapter 1 and you get a chance. He lays out how bad the Gentiles are. But then he gets to verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, though. You can imagine the Jews. Like, hold on a second. What's he saying? As Christ followers, look, look, them out there, yeah, they're messed up. They're doing some bad stuff. They're dealing with some issues, all right? But rather than pointing the finger, he now, Paul now comes and says, but what about you? You have no excuse. You're doing the exact same things, okay? And this is where we start this whole entire message today. Writing to you, the church, writing to you as Christ followers. Here's what happens. In this chapter, Paul begins to lay out and accuse three different types of, of, of Jewish people. And we, we can put it this way, three different types of Christ followers, okay? He begins to accuse three different types of treason against God, okay? So that we understand what treason is, uh, the offense of acting to overthrow one's government. In other words, these Jews, by saying they believed this, but not living it, they were actually doing shame to the kingdom of God. And by bringing shame to the kingdom of God, they were overthrowing the kingdom of God. Uh, to harm or kill its sovereign, a violation of allegiance to one sovereign, okay? What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, guys, man, stop pointing the finger at all the Gentiles. Look at yourself for a moment, because not only are you bringing shame on my name, but you are violating what you say you hold allegiance to. You're violating your faith, okay? Well, this is an uplifting message today, Pastor. Uh, we'll get there, all right? We're going to beat you down, and then we'll pick you back up, all right? <laughs> It's the betrayal of trust or confidence, breach of faith or treachery, okay? Paul is coming saying, guys, and this is what's going on. Stop pointing the finger. You need to look at yourself. Go with me real quickly to Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. I don't know if Paul was thinking about uh, the teachings here of Jesus in Matthew 7, 3 when he wrote them, but I want to read this to you. We'll actually look at verses 1 and 2 as well. This chapter 2 of Romans starts out the same way, talking about you who judge. Hold on a second. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Okay? Some translations say plank. I don't know. It just looks like a big piece of wood. I actually brought a piece of wood to demonstrate this today. I'm not going to stick it in my eye for reals, though, okay? Because that would hurt. Paul is saying this, and, and it's in accordance with Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He says, hold on a second. This is, what, this is what Paul does. He goes, look, yeah, what they did is awful, but look at yourself. Okay? This is what Paul's saying. Look at yourself. Well, I try to look in the mirror, but I can't see past my log. You know, I've had to try, you know, okay. Paul is saying, and this is a nasty one. I mean, it's, I got to be careful because it's got nails and it's a rusty nail too. So I got a splinter last night. I had to play it off like it didn't hurt, but it hurt the whole time. <laughs> try not to do that again because I'm a baby. Paul is saying, guys, look at what's in you. Why, why are you trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye? Have you looked in the mirror lately? You've got a big old beam coming out of your eye. Now, here's the thing I know, that, that, that if, you know, the longer you ignore the beam that's in your eye, the longer the beam gets, okay? And the longer that thing gets, I mean, think, if I walked around, I'd be smacking you people. Are you with me with my issues, okay? This is one thing I've learned, that people that have issues and aren't willing to deal with their issues end up smacking people with their issues, 
Are you with me? Okay? They end up hurting everybody else around them, and they're wondering why everybody's getting offended, why everybody's upset, how come I don't have any friends, and why does nobody... Look at your eye, buddy! That thing hurts when you turn around. Are you with me? I mean, especially when you get hit with the nail part. I mean, that's a big, that's a big beam. There's, there's a reason why, okay? You know, but nobody wants to go and point the finger right here. Everybody wants to go to point the finger out there, okay? This is what Paul is saying. Guys, look, what they did is bad, but you know what? They, they did it without knowing and all that, but you know. And you've got this protruding out of your eye, okay? So now Paul begins to deal with that, okay? So we're going to deal with that real quickly, okay? Uh, as we look at these three people real quickly, uh, maybe none of them are you. Maybe some of them are you. Maybe you're one of them some of the times, and maybe you're all of them all of the time. Um, I don't know. Uh, I know for me, as a pastor, um, here's the thing. You guys got to understand is that uh, this whole week as I'm studying for this, God is pulling beams out of my eyes. You know, Ben, before you get up there and talk about that, you better make sure you don't have that in yourself. And so, I mean, all week long, this one actually came out of me. Can you believe that? It's, yeah, it hurt, okay? I mean, God's just dealing with stuff in my life, okay? And, and, and this is a good thing. Here's the thing is as a pastor, I've been guilty of these. Uh, before I was a pastor, I've been guilty of these. Because all of us know that sometimes it's easier Look at the little specks in everybody else's eye rather than deal with the beam in our own eye. So Paul begins to deal with some beams, okay? The first person, actually, we're going to go in reverse order today, okay? So we're actually going to tackle the one that's mentioned last, and it's found in verses 17 to 29. And Paul goes after these people. Now remember, Paul is accusing them of treason. This is what you're on trial for. This is what you're doing, okay? The first one is this that we'll look at, and it's found in 17 to 29, is the religious person. The religious person. Okay? The religious person says this, I should be acquitted of the accusations because I know the word of God and I teach it. I, I mean, come on. I should not be guilty of it because I am Pastor Ben. I teach the word. And I mean, I, I, you know, I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at it. Thank you. Okay, I just need my ego stroke. Thank you. You know? I teach the word, I study the word, I, I know the word, I mean, come on, I mean, I, I need to tell them about this sin, but I, I can't be held responsible for my actions. That's what they're saying. This is what the religious person tries to get out of the judgment of God by saying, look, I know the word, and I tell others about the word, okay? But you know what? It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to tell others about it. Guess what? You need to live it. Yeah, it needs to become a part of who you are. Here's what I've, I've realized. We do this. We might have beams coming out, of, check it first, coming out of our eyes, but rather than dealing with the beam, what we like to do is we like to, we like to cover up the beam. Because after all, that doesn't look so ugly, does it? Dude, you got like a big white pillowcase coming out of your eye. <laughs> I know it's much prettier than the log that's behind it, you know? And so what we do, rather than dealing with that, we cover it. Okay? But here's the thing, by covering it, I have just blurred my vision even more. Huh. I think I'm making it better because now on the outside, it doesn't look so bad. Oh, look at that. I wish I had that on my pillow. <laughs> you know? It don't look so bad. But I have just obstructed more of my vision. But this is what we try to do. We say things like, well, God, I mean, come on, look at all the things that I'm doing. I mean, I go to church. I read my Bible. I even did the devotional today before I came to church. Come on, how many people can say that? Come on, let's just be honest. How many of you actually do your devotionals on Sunday? I mean, nobody does that. Why? Because they, they got church. But I, I did the devotional. Sometimes I even write the devotional before I come to church. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, come on, God, look at me. This is what they're saying. And Paul says, hold on a second. That, 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 that doesn't work, okay? Uh, because you're not practicing what you preach. You're not excused. God says, man, you're not, you're not practicing what you preach. Here's what I've noticed, okay? And I've had leaders, uh, like I said, I've been doing this for 14 years, although not, not here. I've had leaders in our ministry before. Man, they are the first ones to come up and point the finger at other leaders when the other leaders mess up. Oh, man, I cannot believe they're doing that. Can you believe they're doing that? I mean, they're dating an unsafe person. I would never do that. Never. I wouldn't do it. I mean, come on, we got equally yoked, right? I'm a Christ follower. They must be a Christ follower. I cannot believe that leader is doing that. That is horrible. And they'll just spew all their stuff. And then 30 days later, guess what they're doing? The same exact thing. (laughs) Here's what I've noticed. The person that yells the loudest about something is usually guilty of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This doesn't just happen in church. It happens on the job place. Oh, I can't believe they're cutting out early. My gosh, I'm going to go tell my boss they're cutting out early. Because if I do that, then I'll look good, and he'll never know that I cut out early. Right? No, not, none of you would do that, but you know what I'm talking about. Just an example, right? <laughs> he who yells the loudest. I've got two daughters, five, and the other one just turned eight. And it's so funny, because I know when they're guilty of something. Okay? I don't even have to ask. Okay? I hear one of them, like they're playing on the patio the other day, and all of a sudden I hear Faith crying really loud. And I'm just like, oh, here we go again. I was like, girls, come in here. And Faith comes running and crying. And car comes running in. Dad, I didn't do anything. I didn't. All these things. I'm like, hmm. I didn't even said anything yet. You know? I haven't even like, okay, tell me the story. I didn't even ask. They just come in. They're automatically defending themselves. Faith did this, and I didn't, you know. Well, you know what? You're guilty. You know? You just, you just, you just pointed the finger at yourself. Here's, the, here's what, what, what God, God's reply through Paul was. Guys, it doesn't matter how much you teach. It doesn't matter how much you preach. Why? Because it's not about the outward. It's not about a circumcision of the flesh. It's about a circumcision of the heart. So you can walk around covering up that beam all you want. Paint it. Put makeup on it. Come on, somebody. Get a different color pillowcase, whatever. But guess what? The beam is still there. The Bible says our righteousness or our, our, our attempts are, man, they're like filthy Pillowcases, okay, like dirty rags. Let me read this to you. It's out of the message. Circumcision, the surgical ritual that marks you as a Jew, is great if you live accordance with God's law. But if you do not, it's worse than not being circumcised. The reverse is also true. The uncircumcised who keeps God's ways are as good as the circumcised. In fact, better. Better to keep God's law uncircumcised than to break it circumcised. In other words, it's better to keep God's law without boasting about how you're a Christian than it is to boast about being a Christian and not keep God's law. Okay? Do you, uh, don't you see? It is not the cut of a knife that makes a Jew. You become, or a Christian. You become a Christian by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart, not a knife on your skin that makes a Christian. And recognition comes from God, not legalistic critics. It's a heart change. Okay? But we, we try to cover it up. We, try to want, we don't want to deal with it. Let's look at the next one. Paul goes on to the next one. And this one's found in uh, uh, verses 12 through 16. Paul begins to deal with the ignorant person. This, one, this one's funny. The ignorant person. Listen to the person that says this. I should be acquitted because I didn't 
No. It's not my fault. You didn't tell me. I, I, I didn't know about it. So, I mean, I can't be held responsible. Okay? <laughs> that one doesn't work either. Okay? Has anybody ever been pulled over by a police officer before? Okay? The rest of you haven't experienced that in your lifetime? It's a fun experience. Okay? I've been pulled over on several occasions in my driving experience. Okay? I mean, not bad. I mean, I've been driving now for 20 years, maybe been pulled over like eight times. I mean, what is that, you know? Everybody's like, oh my gosh, eight times? I've only done it once. I'm not as bad as you. We're going to get there in just a minute, okay? Um, <laughs> I mean, what is that? That's less than once every two years. That's not bad, all right? And I mean, come on, half the time it's not even my fault, right? So <laughs> I didn't know, okay? You ever been pulled over by a cop, and the first thing the cop will ask you is, do you know why I pulled you over? Uh, nope. So you didn't realize how fast you're going? Uh, nope. Do you know what the speed limit is here? Uh, nope. <laughs> 55? Nope, it's 35. That's what I said. I meant 55 kilometers. I mean, you know, well... Well, the reason I pulled you over is because you're speeding, okay? None of us, when we get pulled over, all right? Uh, do you know why I pulled you over? Yes, okay, I was going like 40 miles an hour over the speed limit. Just write me a ticket and let me go so I can speed again, you know? None of us do that. We're always like, no, I, I don't know. We, 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 what do we do? We try to play dumb. Ignorant, okay? <laughs> that doesn't work real well, you know? I mean, you're speeding. Do you know why I pulled you over? Nope. <laughs> Do you know that you're in sin? Nope. <laughs> Didn't know. No one told me. Okay? We try to just, we're just hoping that, may, you know, maybe the police officer will actually think I'm that dumb. You know? And he won't, he won't give me a ticket. Right? But then they go on to say this. So you didn't see the speed limit sign about two miles back. Oh, no, I missed that one because I got on about a mile back. <laughs> I didn't see it. So you didn't see the flow of traffic that you were blowing by. Oh, there's traffic? You know? What is he saying? He's saying this. Hey, there's two reasons why you should know that you were speeding. One, it's posted. <laughs> two, you're blowing by all the hundreds of cars that are going the speed limit. Okay? What is he saying? He's saying this. You're without excuse. You're without excuse. You can't, you can't be ignorant. Okay? God does the same thing uh, through Paul uh, it, to the ignorant person. God says, uh, ignorance is no excuse. Look at Romans 1 verse 20. Romans 1 verse 20 says this, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Clearly what? That's right. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Oh, I missed that verse. Someone forgot to tell me about that one. Okay. And then right off the bat, chapter 2, verse 1. You are without <laughs> excuse. Okay, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying this, that, okay, you didn't know the law? Fine. You didn't see the speed limit? Okay, fine. But you did see the flow of traffic. God is saying the same thing. Okay, you didn't have the law? Okay, you didn't, you didn't see the law? That, okay, I, okay, you didn't see the law. But did you see all the nature that God created? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and, and what about your conscience? Did your conscience tell you that maybe that was, that was wrong? Okay, that's why my daughter at the age of five can even run in being like, why? Because she knows, okay? I didn't teach her that that was wrong. She just, what is that? That's conscience, okay? And the Bible says here that your conscience will either excuse you or accuse you of your actions. 
And the crazy thing is this, is that God says, fine, the law won't be your judge then. Nature and your conscience will be your judge. Therefore, you are without excuse. Twofold witness, just like the speed limit and the flow of traffic. You got your conscience and you got nature. Next time you get pulled over, you're going to look at it all different, aren't you? Just give me the ticket. I was wrong. (laughs) The last person, real quickly. Paul addresses the moral person, verses 1 through 11. He spends a lot of time here, okay? Why? Because the Jews thought they were extremely moral. I mean, they kept all the laws. They did all these things. I mean, look at us, okay? This is what the moral person says. The moral person, this one cracks me up too. The moral person says, I should be acquitted of these charges because I am not as bad as that person is. <laughs> I'm not as bad as that person is, so I should totally. I mean, look, their, their, their beam is way bigger than mine. Here's what we try to do. We try to point out everybody else's flaws, hoping that covers our own, so then God won't see ours, and not just God, but other people won't see ours. We do this. I mean, not us, but people in other churches do this. Okay? We point out everybody else's stuff. Why? In hopes that nobody sees our own. And in hopes that maybe God will be dealing with someone far worse than me. I mean, come on. Mine's a two-by-four. There's a four-by-six. You know, what they did is way worse. I mean, I, I, I only have sex outside of marriage once a month. They do it ten times a month. They're worse than I am. I mean, I just, I only stole the little gumball. They stole the whole entire pack. They're, they're worse than I am, you know? And we try to justify the beam as we're whacking people. <laughs> it's in our eye by dealing with the speck that's in somebody else. I'm hoping that, you know what, I think, you know what, look how bad that person is. I mean, they're horrible. I mean, they're just the most awful people in the world. I, now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'll just use my kids again as an example because <laughs> they're not here. <laughs> now, children are, are notorious for this, but I mean, yes, so are adults, okay? Once again, my kids are at that phase when, when they're getting in trouble, Last night even, okay? Um, Kara, who's now eight, said, Kara, you know what? You were wrong, and you were wrong, and all of a sudden, but dad, faith, she begins to like, list off all of these things that faith did. Now, if you don't have kids yet, man, have them. It's a good life-learning experience, okay? Get lots of examples, too, as a pastor. That's why we actually had kids. I was like, babe, if I want to be a better pastor, we should probably have some kids. So that, some examples. Just kidding. Kind of. And she's like, but dad, faith did this, 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 and also faith. Nah, Cara didn't. They go back and forth. What are they doing? They're doing this right here. I'm not as bad as that person is. They're, they're worse than I am. You should deal with their stuff and not my own. How many of you guys have fell into that trap before? Man, you, you have this big beam, and you want, you want to help everybody else's speck out. The only problem is, is your beam is so big, every time you try to get their speck, you're like breaking their glasses trying to help you, buddy, but it's not working. I can see that speck, but man, cool, I just got your wife. Sorry, cool. Baby. Okay? Put the, put the cloth on. It might be a little softer, you know? Okay? We, we, we as Christ followers, as Christians, now listen to me, we're not without fault. 
hear my heart? I'm not saying we, we're perfect people. Far from it. But we know where to take our imperfections. See, here's the problem. Our problem is not that we have an imperfection. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, oh man, your problem is you got a big beam. Paul is saying this, you're not willing to deal with your beam. Instead you, of, of trying to take it out, you try to cover it so no one sees it. You try to cover it so it doesn't, doesn't hurt anybody else, but in covering it, you're actually hurting yourself worse. Listen to me, God is not after perfect people. He's after people that will pursue His perfection. And here in this church, we are not perfect people. We're far from it. Just spend the day with me. You'll see all my flaws. On second thought, don't spend the day with me. <laughs> okay? Now, we're flawed people. Absolutely. But here's what we've learned. We've learned from chapter 2 that we cannot cover our imperfections because we're righteous enough on our own and we know enough of the Bible and we go to enough community groups and we go to enough church services. Is all of that good? Yes. Church does not save you, but church will help keep you saved. Are you with me? And that's what we believe, man. Will community groups save you? No, but it'll help you walk in the right path. Christ is the one that saves us. We cannot try to cover it up with knowing enough of this. What we need to know is that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we cannot fall into the trap of, well, well, I didn't know. Okay? Why? Because then we just try to stay ignorant all our life. I honestly have met people before that don't want to come to church, don't want to learn the Bible, because then they'll know something and they'll be held responsible for it. Sorry, doesn't work. You're going to be held responsible one way or the other. And we can't think that we're better than other people. Because you know what? The same issues that people deal with that aren't Christ followers are the same issues we deal with as Christ followers. The good thing is, though, is we got Christ's grace on our life that lifts us up and can carry us through. Although a righteous person falls seven times, what does he do? He gets back up and he keeps going again. Are we still going to mess up? Absolutely. But when we mess up, we fall into the arms of grace rather than into the arms of wrath. I don't know about you, but I would rather fall into the arms of grace. How do I fall into the arms of grace? i got to understand that righteousness comes from Jesus Christ alone. Through God. From God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that, that, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because what Christ did on the cross, and this thing, here's the cool thing. And see, some of us view, view it like this, like, oh, his righteousness covered my beam. No, 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 no. What he does is he rips the beam out, and then he covers you with his righteousness. Now you no longer, not only have the beam, but you got his righteousness. That I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How does that work? John says this, that it's the Holy Spirit that comes to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. And the Holy Spirit is producing the results in our life. You don't have to live with the beam. You don't have to run around, man. Yes, as Christ follows, we want to help other people see their beams. But if you're not willing to take care of your own and point the fingers right here and deal with the stuff in your life, man, not only will you not be free, but you won't be able to help anybody else get free. What does God say to the moral person? Let me read that as we close. God says this. You didn't think, did you? That just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard. 
Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind. Listen to this. But he's not soft. In his kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. Listen to me. God will take you just as you are, but since he's such a phenomenal God, he won't leave you as you are. Man, God will take the most messed up person in the world, but because he loves you so much, he won't leave you the most messed up person in the world. That's the righteousness of God. That's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God. And that is far better than you trying to cover up the beam yourself. Listen to me today. Man, it is time that as a church, man, we, we, can, we, we, we go out and we do ministry. We go out and we do outreach, yes. But our job is not to point the finger at everybody else. Our job is to do this. Our job is to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world how do we do that man make sure the batteries are charged so that light can shine bright are you with me it doesn't doesn't happen by going out and trying to fix everybody else and we've got to make sure god where am i at in my path where am i at in my journey god what are you working on here and i don't know about you but i'm so thankful for the grace of jesus that's here today to take that thing out of us and cover us with his righteousness. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is, is life-giving. God, your word is, is amazing. Lord, I pray right now, God, for every person in this place as we leave today, God, that we'd be challenged by the word. God, we'd be encouraged by the word. And God, we walk out of this place knowing you. As your eyes are closed just for a minute, your head is bowed, why are we doing that? Because I just want you to reflect just for a moment on this message and how it relates to you how it relates to you. The Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. How? As you delight in him. If you study that scripture, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That word delight, the word picture there in the vines is this. It's a, it's, it's a pile of clay put into the master's hands. And that clay is moldable and pliable. I'm delighting in God. How am I doing that? Man, he's, he's forming me. Man, he's shaping me. He's making me who he sees me and wants me to be. I delight myself, Lord. See, some people look at that and they think, man, I'm just going to have fun in the Lord. I'm just going to be in the presence of God. I'm just gonna, no, no, no. It means this. It means I'm a lump of clay and I've surrendered over to the master's hands. There's some of you in here and you've got dreams and you've got ambitions and you've got desires. My wife, if you missed it, go online. Check out the message. My wife had an amazing message last week. But listen to me. You have got to remain that clay in his hands. Because as he's forming you, he sees some imperfection or some beams in your eye. He says, man, I'm going to take that one out. And I'm going to take this. I'm going to move this over here and shift that there. And I'm going I'm to make this this way and make this that way. And you delight in him. And the end result is he gives you the desire of your heart, the dream that you have inside of you, the thing that you've been longing for, looking for. He's a good God. And every good and perfect gift comes from him whom there's no variation or shifting. He's a good God. He cares about you and he wants you to live the fullest life possible. But the way we live a full life is by allowing him to come and remove some stuff from our life.